You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little blood sucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers are the Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, today I had none other than Darren Wilcox over for a conversation. Um, Darren Dazzling, Darren Daz, Daz, Daz the Dazzle, the Razzle Dazzle, um, is an amazing person who takes the word frother to a whole new level. Um, Darren is an amazing human being and he showed up in so many weird places and times in my life and we have so many great stories and um, and have had a, a, a many a, a great adventure together. He was one of those people that just like, you know, like um, back, 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 I say back in the day, but like, you know, had some pretty good adventures on the booze with Darren back in the day. Um, and also in my travels, he's one of those people that you just bump into in the most obscure places. Um, you know, he, 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 it's been at a remote beach. There's someone way down the beach. You didn't even know he was in the area. And that's Daz way down there on a bank that you later find out to realize that surfing alone. Uh, I bumped into him overseas. Um, just always showing up in, in un, and, and just with the brightest spark. Um, love Darren and I really enjoyed having him in uh, the podcast and I hope you enjoy our chat. Um, he's very worldly, very lived uh, and very driven, very driven, always, always on the hunt, always uh, exploring, well, life, his own mind and his surroundings. Um, and, and I just love... Uh, the way Darren thinks and talks about surfing, um, you know, we talk about this in the podcast, um, but I've got this quote that uh, I really enjoy um, that I heard in the latest Tarantino movie where um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when the little girl is talking to um, uh, DiCaprio and she's talking about, and he's talking about, Oh, what is the word? Um, she goes, does easy sleazy or does easy say, um, how is he now? It's just the, it's the cutest little um, conversation between an older actor and a young actor, uh, you know. And anyway, she says to Easy Breezy, Easy Breezy, that's it, Easy Breezy. I, I love it. And anyway, she says her quote, to DiCaprio is, I believe it's the job of an actor, and I say actor, not actress, because the word actress is nonsensical. It's the actor's job to avoid impediments to their performance. It's the actor's job to strive for 100% effectiveness. Naturally, we never succeed, but it's the pursuit that's meaningful. And, and I just, I love, I love that because it doesn't only apply to acting. That applies to, you know, so many things in life. You could put it to anything, really. You know, we're never going to get it right. But are we stretching ourselves to get the most out of whatever situation it is um, that's in, in front of us? And, and, and this is how uh, I believe Darren is with, with his life 
and and the way he talks about surfing and um, yeah, and I, I I love that passage and I love Darren. So um, I won't crap on anymore. I'll let you enjoy our conversation. I'll see you on the you other think side. This is, is interesting. Wow! Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total farfarama. Like skateboarding is an integral part of surfing and um, my earliest memory, like mum and dad gave me a lot of freedom and my earliest memory was wandering into a house, a somewhat dubious house in Spring Street and like just because I'd heard people and the house was right at the end of the block and I get in there and there's a half pipe. Did you know anyone in there? No. No. Just and I'm cruising. very, very young. Yeah. And um, for Christmas, I'd been given a brand new Mark Gator deck. Yeah, yeah. And the swirl. Yeah, and I didn't. I wandered in with my skateboard, and out come this man in a leather jacket with no teeth, and his name was Juan. And he said, "He said, what are you doing?" And I said, oh, "You know, I want to learn how to skate." And he goes, "Okay." And so. That particular house, I had no idea what was going on. Obviously, it was an interesting period. Now, I would classify that man as a punk. He was a real punk. But he taught me how to tic-tac. And I remember very distinctively climbing onto a container and looking over the Surf Coast Plaza, which was pink, and watching the first vert skating demonstration by the Americans. It was called Ramp Riot. And... I just want people to understand how insane it was to see people go completely upside down, six feet out of the coping. And who, one, who are we watching? Christian Hozoi. Christian Hozoi, yeah. and the most impressionable man was Lee Ralph. Now, for anyone who's ever seen this man, um, certainly in the early '80s, um, he leaves an impression. My impression was skate stench. So the smell of the human. My first oh, impression <laughs> of the man was, without a doubt, there was one girl on either arm, a long neck, and stench. Like, and he had a piece of cheese hanging around his neck. And he was walking to the ramp. Now, the ramp was situated inside the Surf Coast Plaza. Uh, and it had at six feet of vert. And it was a very impressionable Day that was a that was a significant moment in Australian um, skate and surf and your life absolutely and it left a huge impression uh, on me and how like it made you want to skate more surf what which I was really really young um, I, I can't remember how old I might have been five or six or something but I had a skateboard and I was tic tacking <laughs> that was exciting. <laughs> And then, dude, I so relate. I didn't see that experience, but I so relate. Skating was at my core as well as a yeah, young. Yeah, and and it's at the core of surfing, really. I mean, if you, um, I later started to 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 practice and Willow's Servo. So if you look at um, the Geelong Road and you look at uh, the current day Strapper Surf Shop, that was a haunted house. Well, a haunted house, what I thought, with a huge palm tree. Opposite that was a service station. And it was Willow Servo. And he had all this ticker tape that used to come down. But more importantly than ticker tape was the leading ramps for the servo. These little corners, little right corner, little left bank. And he had a little car wash. 
and the concrete had been shaped into like smooth waves for the runoff and you could get a little Rio in and a snap in and I spent hours skating <laughs> at that servo. <laughs> was that did that was that an asbestos servo? I think I don't know how it came down or when it came down, but that was um, there was a service station on Bell Street and there was Willow Servo up on the main road. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, going from there, were you thinking about surfing? You were surrounded by surfers, obviously. Yeah, it was all apparent. I mean, you, everyone's a product of their environment to, to one degree or another, and I was no different. So my mum and dad had no water knowledge, and they thought, this young fellow is so interested. Where else does he go? Well, he goes to the Torquay Surf Club into Nippers. And that's really where I started my early understanding of what's a rip, how tides move. And during the winter, we used to take the kneeboards out from the shed. And and a fellow there by the name of China Gilbert was the caretaker of that particular um, surf club. And during the winter, it was fine. Rory Milburn and I would simply take the boards out, go out through haystacks and, and surf on our knees. This is a pivotal moment. And I'm glad I've got to share this because so Fisherman's Beach I I used that point I used to thought was amazing like it was amazing because I was only about this high you know and the waves were so much bigger high tide pushing in um my father made me my first surfboard and he hasn't surfed a day in his life and he painted it like a racing car and I got a little bit of flack for that down at the surf club um, and like what colors? Well, it was blue and it was cream and it had pinstripes, just like the bonnet. Did it have a circle of the number? Of a Monaro? No, no it didn't. <laughs> but, you know, everyone else was getting around in gorilla grip and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and Z wetsuits, colored wetsuits and piping hot. And, you know, so I was paddled out and, and all I knew how to do was to really, all I'd been doing was surfing on my knees. And um, I used to hoot a lot. I love hooting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do go on. <laughs> share the stoke, share the buzz, yeah. spread it, you yeah, know, yeah, like that. feel it. Anyway, moving away. It's from, never left you, Darren. I don't think so. No. I, I don't think so. And so I'm on my knees and um, I get a wave and I'm hooting actually myself on my knees. <laughs> <laughs> you know, coming in. Coming in off Yellow Bluff there at Fisherman's. And um, anyway, I paddle out. I'm frothing. And this little freckle-faced Gumby paddles past me. He goes, why don't you stand up? <laughs> can, I, can I guess who that was? You can guess. Tim Hawken. It was. <laughs> it was Tim Hawken. He was sponsored by Gorilla Grip. He had Z wetsuit and he had a Freddie Mac surfboard. And he said to me, and in that moment, I had a light bulb moment. I had a light bulb moment. I went, stand up. Yeah, that sounds like, yeah, I might try that. And the rest is history. <laughs> I've been standing up ever since. <laughs> One pivotal moment at fish shows. Yeah. And so how, how old were you at this stage? You were five when you saw the Vert Ramp Expedition. Yes. Ex- ex- um, and then how many years later was this? I would have been uh, nine or ten, I would say. Okay, yeah. Uh, and then sort of we lived the furthest out we lived we lived at 
Nathan Edwards used to say I lived in Grovedale. And, <laughs> you know, it was Wombat Park. I mean, it was a long way out. We were the first house in those potato paddocks. And to get to the beach, mum said, as soon as you turn 12, you can go independently wherever you want. And so I'd get on my bike. And we had bike racks, which were, you know, would surfboard racks on the bike. It was perfect. It was no good in a wind like today. But, mm. And subsequently, I'd have to get up the earliest you know, have to dress for the cold and, and have to go so much further to get to the beach. And, you know, we would try and escape the greenskeeper at the golf course. We'd cut through Torquay to get to Juck. So you progress from, from your Torquay and then go to Janjuk and, and it moves on and it moves on. Um, but those riding days, those early riding days, they were gold, you know. Fish and chips at the beach. And do, were you serving with Timmy after this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a whole group of us that used to um, just hang at the surf club, really, at the Torquay Surf Club. Um, and we all... I actually went further down the beach because, like I said, I had this old board and I had a woolen jumper and long hair and I, I didn't really feel like I fit in. So I ended up surfing Drano's for my early part uh, and to this day I feel very comfortable on my backhand. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting what shapes you early and your influences when you when you start doing something. Absolutely. Now, um, so through school, how were you at school? Surfing was uncool at school. And, it, you know, I would go to school. I would love to talk. I'd love to share the experience. And I would just get cowabunga, man. Like, I'd just get totally paid out. I was one of the only surfers at school. And it was uncool. And so I actually, I, I wouldn't talk about it, you know. So I would surf early uh, before school and I just, I want to share. So what was, the, what was the groove at school? Was it football? What football was everyone, yeah. and, and cricket. And um, that's just the way it was, you know, arts and music and all these kind of things weren't celebrated. Yeah. Multiculturalism certainly wasn't celebrated. How crazy how different it is today. Like, oh. Like it was literally school of hard knocks. It was very much so. And, and I think people certainly go to school not to remember history, not to know how to count. They go to school to learn how to be themselves. And that happens through that, that sink or swim unfortunate reality of, I mean, it was a... It was, a was it hard? Was, did you get picked on? No, I had a thick skin. I was lucky. Yeah. I, I was internally strong. But I did look after people that perhaps weren't uh, as strong. Um, in saying that, though, it was brutal. Yeah, yeah. You know, like if you had red hair. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like you, you, you I never ostracized. Absolutely, and you never picked on the redheads because they were tough. Because you know that they'd gone through scrap after scrap after scrap. So I was very respectful. So anyone out there with red hair, I respect you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you worry about that. That's an eighties child. These days, maybe it's like you know you got to hug them. You know, it's different. It's a different world. <laughs> There's no hugging there. No way. Um, okay, so you weren't quite fitting into the. F- did you play footy or anything? I did play. I played for the Torquay Tigers. Oh. And um, I was in the back line because I used to go very hard at the football. Yeah. And straight lines. Yeah. And I got knocked out. I remember uh, coming back to consciousness and looking at the fellow <laughs> in the forward line pulling his socks up ready to kick the goal, thinking, I don't think this is for me. Like, <laughs> no one had come to me. I'd been out for I don't know how long. And I went, maybe I could maybe do something else. <laughs> oh, that is funny. And now, scholastically, were you good at school? Were you interested in... Yeah. Yeah, what, were you, what was your thing? 
very interested in in everything. Um, I think. Uh, Were you science driven, maths? Well, I was a contrast. I was a dichotomy. So the ducks you are award. a dichotomy. <laughs> That's a big word. I know. <laughs> no, I, I I received the ducks award in fine arts. So did you really? Yeah, very creative. So what was this? Is in year twelve. This is in year twelve. So what was your where, which area? What medium? Uh, it was mixed media. I did for that year. Um, once again, the system was set up differently. So when the awards came at the end of year twelve, there was the celebration for the football captain. There was the celebration for Ducks Award never got called out, and I thought, wow, that is just typical. I just <laughs> thought, how are the artists going now? You know, like, um, and then economics on the other side. So there's a total polarity in in uh, in the way you think, which is very interesting. Um, well, it shows a real well-roundedness, I would think. If you're able to think <laughs> on both sides of the fence, it's, yeah, it's, that's good. It's, it's quite healthy. an interesting thing. That's so helped. that was school. Yeah. So with with school, like you know, like you've got an internal compass. What were you like thinking of university? You're thinking, I want to travel the world. You're thinking, what, were you, what, you know, I just want to surf. I just want to skate. What? One thing I did remember was after media studies, I think about two classes, I went, I never want to be in the media because <laughs> I realised <laughs> it's all BS. I'll let you listeners know. Oh, like, well, it was brutal once I learned like how they would take someone through the ringer at any cost to turn a tabloid rag. I went, I don't want to be a journo. Do you know, I remember, Darren, I'm going to skip a little bit. We're going to come back. I, I remember. I think when we were working at Rip Curl, yes. you were walking around going, it's all just fucking propaganda. And I just remember thinking, like, what is propaganda? <laughs> well. No, no, I know now. Yeah. And I, knew, I think you made me just go and quiz, like, what is propaganda? Fantastic. And like, you were going around just pointing at this and that, and I was just like, fucking hell. <laughs> anyway, let's go a, back. That's so, an awesome – I appreciate that because that's an awesome memory. Yeah. Um, so – you obviously learnt that the media is a propaganda machine. Well, through yeah, media and, studies. And, and, I mean, this is you, you create your own compass on your on your scholastical pathway, of, as it were. Um, and that was one area I thought, no way, <laughs> you know. Um, but mainly, I think the great thing about that period was um, just learning how to be yourself and, and learning how to grow through different characters and different situations. Uh, that's the most important thing. That's probably the hardest thing, you know, of being a teenager through to 20s. Like, yeah. like I think it took me till 30-something to yeah. be like, oh, I'm a, whatever, I'm okay, I'm yeah. my own fucking skin here. Yeah, absolutely. And that's life. Yeah. That's growth. Yeah. But you don't really realise that for a long time, do you? <laughs> Just like too busy running well, around. Well, I became, I was, I was a little, you know, by year 12, I was like, rules, regulations, I'm out of here. I wanted to travel. So going back to your original question, yes, travel was in my skin. My first independent trip was at the age of 16 to Hawaii. And I said to my mother. Hold on. Independent. You went alone. Correct. And I said to my mother, I said, oh, look, mum, I, I want to go away. And she's like, oh, yeah, where, where would you like to go? I said, I want to go to Hawaii. She goes, okay, who, who are you going with? And I said, I'm going with Troy. She goes, how old's Troy? And uh, I said, oh, no, he's, he's 18. Well, he wasn't. I was 16 <laughs> and he was 17 when we landed in Honolulu. And the rest is history. So that independence from skating early translated to yeah. a, a bicycle, translated to having freedom by the age of 16, really. 
That is amazing. So your mum let you go with, I'm assuming you mean Brooko. Yeah, Troy Brooks, yeah. yes. <laughs> and, and so you guys saved up money. Yes. What, would you, what did you do to get money to go on this trip? Well, I was working. I started in um, Burnell Caravan Park raking leaves. And, and I got $5 an hour. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And the people who were having their, their leaves raked were like, you're not getting paid enough. But from there, I my first day at Rip Curl was on the showroom floor with Gareth Haberley. And I will never forget uh, the scene in that particular Hold place. On, I, I, want to, I want to back it up. I want to go back and we're going to come to this moment. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've, you've raked leaves. You saved up enough money with Brooko to go on your first trip to Hawaii at 16. Yes. And what, what a Hawaiian winter, what boards are you taking? Well, uh, Michael D'Astasio at Strapper Surf yeah. um, was integral in working with Jason Polakow. Yeah. So if we go back to the late 80s, yeah. We are looking at windsurf. This town was not only skate and surf, but it was windsurf. And and Michael D'Astasio is a master craftsman in this country. He worked with Jason, and Jason Polakow is one of the best watermen of all time. Well, he's a world champion several times, is he not? Yeah. yeah. So he. this is a really interesting... So the guns that I took um, were sort of... had had very similar lines... And I think my biggest board was a 7.8, 7.2, 6.16. Six, yes, 6.6 six, and a 6.4. And those bigger boards were absolutely magic carpet. Like, yeah, it was, it's just, it was just a beautiful thing to have such nice craft uh, in those conditions. <laughs> and so um, you've landed in Honolulu and do you know where you're going to stay? No, this is interesting. So I turn to Troy, I say, have you, surely you've got something. He goes, I don't know. And I get on the, it's dark, it's the middle of the night and we're on the side of the road and, and we're there for about an hour and this huge pickup truck comes, black with tinted windows and we pile in the back and next minute, you know, we're flying down the cam highway and I'm, I'm in the back, Brooko, we're both in the tray in the open air and the smells, like the coffee, the pineapples, it was really sensational. Oh, I just love how you're sense-driven here. you got the smell from the skater, the smells from Hawaii. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, keep going. So we're going down the Cam High. I don't know where, I don't know where the North Shore is. I don't know how far it is. And um, anyway, I get to climb up into the mountains. We get to this house. There's dirt bikes. There's big dogs. And I get put in the spare room. I don't know whose room. I'm in the room. You know, fall asleep, wake up and... Um, my first introduction uh, to uh, Hawaiian was Brock Little. We'd stayed at Brock Little's house. No way. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, that was really impressionable for your first day uh, in North Shore. And then we stayed in a shared house behind Sunset Beach. And uh, there are lots of people in that shared house, uh, lots of well-known Australian surfers. And... Um, Dazzle, this is your first trip at 16. It's amazing. Yes, first trip overseas independently. That was it. Um, and moving forward... No, 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 let's stay here. Okay. I love this, man. <laughs> this is awesome. So you met Brock Little. Yeah. What an absolute, like, lord of the North Shore. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and so where did, you, where did you first surf? What was your first paddle out on the um, North Shore? 
I think it was dry hair out to sunset and dry hair. Yeah, yeah. and it was really exciting uh, because uh, I love those peaks. Those those, those light, and the peaks were coming from either direction, and I couldn't like it was just I was just feeling it out. But it was exciting. Was, was it Brooko's first trip as well? I don't know. Maybe Troy had been there beforehand. Probably. Yeah. Um, certainly, it was it was it was mine, and it was it was a. It was unforgettable. And so how was that surf? First surf? Man, you must have been just like, I can only imagine. It you would have amazing. been eyes out on fucking sticks. It was exciting. <laughs> and uh, I think the board shorts were a bit too long in the 90s, though. You know, I, you, I feel like they've evolved now. But we had yeah. the board shorts were so long. Yeah, you, couldn't, yeah. you got caught up in your board short. I had my board shorts ripped off in the bowl at sunset, nearly drowning, literally. And uh, I actually nearly drowned at pinballs that trip, like properly. So what happened? Um, I forgot about this story. Um, I was sitting on the inside part. Excuse me. <coughs> Too many gaffers? Hey, no, no, not even. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so this is an interesting story. This is one I didn't think I'd tell you yeah, today, yeah. Teague. But I was surfing pinballs inside uh, Waimea. And I can't remember the size. So I don't even know this way of pinballs. It's yeah, a, it's a, it was just like the inside part of Waimea Bay. When it's really big, it breaks out the back. So it breaks out the back, reforms? No, when it's small enough, it just comes through oh, so and breaks. Oh, it's a different wave. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. And I started to see a few waves breaking out the back. And I thought, uh, what am I doing in here? You know, like, you need to go out there. And I thought, yeah, I'm just going to go out there. <laughs> And I waited and I waited and then the, the, the swell comes up really quickly. It's a completely different fish and there's lots of people out there who are listening who understand it. And um, sets were coming up quiz- very quickly and I was hesitant early. I was trying to feel my way. And the first wave came and I paddled over it and I'm like, okay, second one I can go. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I turned to go and I went, whoa. And then I went and then the third one, I'm like, you've got to go. And I paddled and I paddled, but there was like two foot shop coming up the face. Like, and I just wanted to go as hard as I could, as hard as I could. Has it a guess? How big do you reckon this wave was? I don't know. I can't put a, like a a thing on it. But big. It was pretty big. Yeah. And I just got launched out the front. Like I committed (laughs) right to the end and it was too far and literally free foul and Without a wetsuit, I hadn't been used to how to deal with the situation underwater. I really sunk deeper than I'd thought. And I got, um, like many people, uh, you just, like being inside a washing machine, your arms going one way, your legs going down, and I just sat into it and relaxed. But it was very dark and I was way deeper than underneath that I thought. And I thought, okay, I'm at the bottom of my 12-foot leggy. I just need to follow the leggy up. And I started swimming up and I started swimming up and the surface was further than I thought. And this is the really interesting moment. Everything became light and surreal. Everything became beautiful. And I'm swimming up and swimming up gracefully. Then I start losing chunks of my vision like a jigsaw. So like I've got black jigsaw chunks coming out of my vision. Wow. And I almost let go. Like I'm almost, this is the most beautiful experience of my life. Did, or, you, did you have a moment of panic before the beauty? beauty? No, because I, I was focused too busy. on coming up. Yeah, too, yeah. And on that journey up, 
uh, I don't think it was panic. It was just shock because I'm like, it's way further, but I need to keep going. And everything went surreal. And then finally I broke the surface and got a breath, got a wave on the head, got the next one on the head. Straight away? Yeah, straight away. And then rolled in. I was way in, um, in tears. Like I was emotional. Like it was, yeah. I was rattled from every level. Um, and it was a fantastic experience. Did, was there people watching? Probably not. No, no one. There was came, no, no one, one out was there. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd ridden down there from behind sunset on the bike. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that is awesome. So, what an amazing first trip. It was a good trip. It really is. So, man. The, this this brings me onto a fantastic point. It's it's a humility in surfing. So, it doesn't matter what level. Um, you learn, you know, you, 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 you get up, you fall down, you get up, you fall down, you get up, you fall down. That's the basic technique. But there's a humility the ocean teaches you. There's a humility being in nature and, you know, pushing as hard as you push against uh, the ocean, the sea, it will push back. So I think there's a beautiful humility, humility that you'll find in, in lots of uh, accomplished surfers. Um, and athletes who spend time in nature. It's a, it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, completely. We're blessed to uh, have it. So now I want to wind it back a little bit and we're going to jump back into you're on the showroom floor at Rip Girl with Gareth Hayley. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were Is, painting a picture there. Well, the, the, the old store was, um, was long and there was lots of skate. So we're talking, you know, early part of the 90s skate still very popular skate decks skate stickers skate wheels trucks and wetsuits and surfboards and gareth was the master of the showroom floor and he, <laughs> he still is yeah he definitely is he was a, he was a fantastic and there was lots of individuals over those years through through that organization that really was a very special place at a special time uh, you were part of that and there's lots of stories from lots of celebrations and lots of things that happened uh, in those early, uh, those l- sort of um, late 90s, early noughties in that uh, organisation. It was, a, it was a really great time. So, I, I mean, I must have come uh, late 90s because Gareth wasn't there. Yeah. But I, I, I knew Gareth from drinking at The Rock. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, so okay, so you you I remember now we we're in the rip curl era here in the yes. in the nineties. Yes, uh, you've got that trip under your belt. Yes, um, you weren't as I don't think as worldly that I remember uh, as you are today. Yes, back then. Yes, and I think all of those trips. So I concentrated on uh, I value the experience. So I concentrated on travel all through my 20s and most of my 30s. I think that experience teaches you a lot. Um, Certainly, uh, I don't have a house, but I've got a story. And, you know, there's a definite trade-off between which path you want to go and how you go about it. So, But I value those experiences. And if, if we look at right now, right this moment, Teague, travel's a fantastic topic because it seems like a distant memory. It seems like history. And I'm gonna tell everyone a fantastic story shortly, but 
if we just look for a moment now, if you're in your early 20s or the possibility of travel is limited, you might be able to go to Werribee if you're lucky, but it's a very interesting point. It's mm. We've never seen this. This is an unprecedented um, situation um, since World War II. Obviously, there was a disruption in World War II and there's been disruptions in other countries in recent times, but our country has not seen this kind of a disruption. Um, so travel, I think, is more, more important than ever to think about. Um, and it's a real luxury. And it's crazy that we're having this conversation because I have thought about this many times. I've done a lot of travelling myself. We're yes. very fortunate for it. But I've also had the thought it wouldn't take much for this to be shut down and taken away and people not to believe some of the stories that we've had abroad. Absolutely, T. That's a fantastic point. So this story I'm about to tell you might seem unbelievable to some and in fact it might seem surreal in 10 years time if we cannot travel anymore we will just sound like those old guys down there <laughs> i remember eh, laddie <laughs> back in my day fuck it all right no yeah okay Let's, so fast forward yeah. a few trips yeah. fast forward a few trips and uh, i'm working i'm saving i'm flying i'm working i'm saving i'm going away and i get a, i'm spending a lot of time in central and south america hold on think this story through you're working, you're saving, you're travelling, you're working, you're saving. <laughs> I'm travelling. And I'm spending a lot of time uh, in Central and South America. And I'd heard, uh, I'd heard a little whisper about a wave that hadn't been, well, it, it had just been sort of whispered about. It certainly hadn't been uh, publicised. And I thought, this is it. And I landed uh, in El Salvador, San Salvador Airport, and I dragged my coffin bag through, and everyone's looking at me, thinking, are there bodies in there? Are there ammunitions in there? And I draw, there's these two um, security or police or guards sitting on a bench, and uh, I just, like, walk straight out. I literally walk off the plane and straight out, and they go, hey, hey. And they, they call me back and uh, they're looking at each other quite puzzled and they say, you've got to pay us 10, 10 US. I say, I'm not paying you 10 US. I say, I'm coming in here, you know, like we have a discussion and halfway through that discussion, I'm realising they're the customs police. <laughs> <laughs> and they look at each other and start laughing and they go, passport. I said, I've got my passport right here. And they're like, no, we would like to see your passport. This is all in Spanish and... Um, and then the penny dropped and went, oh, hang on. So I put a $10 US bill in the passport and I gave it and um, got the green light and uh, continue on down the track and get outside and all the hawkers, all the ta taxi hawkers are all over me and um, they're really hot on this one. And I'm just like, no, no, I just need to collect my thoughts, gentlemen. And I sat <laughs> on my board bag and I just sat for a moment and thought, where am I? <laughs> what am I doing? And one man came over quietly. He said, what's your plan? And I said, well, you know, I was thinking, where are the buses? Like, I just need to get a bus. To How this. is it you may as well have landed on the fucking moon? <laughs> you know? And he, and he quietly came. He goes, what's your plan? I said, I'm just going to get a bus, you know, to the city. I th what It's called San Salvador. And then I've got to go to this place called the Wild East. You know, is there a bus that... He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He goes, you what? He goes, you can't go into that city 
And later I found out that that particular city is run by two major gangs. It's a very dangerous uh, part of Central America. And um, he goes, the Wild East, you know how far that is? I said, yeah, I, I, no, I don't. Like, but are you, you know, can you take me? <laughs> and then he just looked and I thought, I'm in a bit of a situation here, you know. So he took me under his wing. Next minute I'm driving with him past these volcanic coffee plantations and beautiful lush tropical scenery and the trip goes on and it goes on four hours from the airport and uh, I was like I'm going to pay him a bit more now like this is pretty special and we get down to this little area called Los Flores and the place that I thought I was going to stay or he knew I didn't know any places I walked in and it was it was rancid it was flies it was really quite primitive like it was even on a village level it wasn't uh pleasant and uh he goes i can't leave you here he goes no no i'm like no i'm fine man i'll find my way because at that point i'm thinking i'm on the beach like i'm the beach is going to be better than this place and uh he, were you at the beach where you yes, were you we wanted, were at the beach but th this place was just a little bit up from the beach and it just had wasn't more, where you wanted to be no one could sleep in those conditions. Like it was. Sorry, but I mean the point yes, of the map. It was in the zone. Yeah, it was yeah. in the general zone. Yeah. And um, did you feel safe? I was on an adventure. I was well past thinking about safety. Like yeah. I'm a long way from anywhere, yeah. so I'm deep in this yeah. and enjoying it to a degree. <laughs> <laughs> so like he he um, he said, "I can't leave you here." I said, "Yeah, you can. No worries. Here's your thing." And he's like, "Where are you going to stay?" And I said, oh, I think I'm, this is not for me. I'll probably find, he goes, there's nothing else. And I look around, I go, I'll stay down there. And there was like four concrete sort of bunkers right on the point, like right on the point. There was an outside shower and I saw a family there and I said, I'll just go and ask. And so that's why I ended up staying right on this point called Los Flores. And it was in a simple concrete room with one mattress and an outside, an outdoor shower, perfect, absolutely perfect. And so I'm surfing this main point, thinking to myself. So you was it when you arrived there? Was it daytime? Yes, it was. It was late in the afternoon. And was it what you went to get doing what you thought it was going to be? That's not the wave. Oh. that wasn't the wave. No. <laughs> so like this is so I'm enjoying this place but knowing i'm looking for somewhere else ah. and one day i decide okay other surfers around not many not many um a couple of salvadorian surfers yeah so i want to keep it pretty low-key el salvador's no one would be so hot <laughs> like dangerous it, it, yeah so i think all right today's the day so a few days in i'm like oh, i'm gonna go adventuring mm -hmm. and um I get two litres of water, get my hat, and I start walking down this dusty road, this dirt road, towards the direction where I think this point is, this secret point. And um, I get a long way into the journey, it's hot, and um, this pickup truck, this, this black pickup, dinted pickup truck comes screaming down the road, screeches next to me in tinted windows, I'm ready to run, I'm ready to jump. And the window comes down and there's this American dude. He goes, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> and he's like in a Hawaiian shirt. He's like, what are you doing out here? 
And I'm like, oh, nothing, just going for a walk. He's like, jump in, man, I'll give you a lift. And I'm like, I'm not jumping in with this guy. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, well, no, no, I'll keep going. He goes, you, where are you from? And I said, uh, Australia. He goes, you Australians, you, you Australians. I see you sure you want a lift, man? And I went, no, no, I'm okay. And he just Why are you kept, being so cagey? And, well, I just don't want anyone to know about the wife. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I've got it in my head, you know, I've got to keep it down low, even to this guy, right? Yeah. And so Who's a local. That's right. So and anyway, he burns off and I get I get like a, a while in and I'm like, I'm underprepared, my water's gone, I got no food, like I gotta return back and, and like regroup. <laughs> and so, like, I go back, and a few days the swell comes, and I'm surfing. Dude, this guy could have been surfing that wave like every day. You'd never know. So he, so I regroup. I come back. A couple of days, the swells, the swells come, and I'm hitting the main, the main place. And then you know, there's a lull, and I'm like, right, today's my day. I'm going back down that road. I'm going to find this thing. So I equipped with way more, way more water, way more food. And anyway, I'm, I'm like. I'm a long way in past where he met me the other day and I come to a village and uh, the locals are like looking at me and grabbing their children and running indoors like and they're taking their clothes off the line and they're like telling and everyone's retreating into hiding like I'm an alien walking down the main street (laughs) (laughs) and I'm getting a really weird vibe now the wild east is a situation where the gorillas controlled uh, the war was a bloody 10-year uh, civil war in El Salvador. Unexploded munitions, landmines, weapons, all these kind of things. And I'm his, I'm a white man, and I'm walking straight down this road, like into village territory. Don't know where I'm going, don't know how far I'm going, wanting to find this right-hand point. And the civil war is still going? No, it's finished. Okay. But, but there's landmines. There's a lot of tension. I'm a white yeah. fellow, you yeah, know. Yeah, on so the moon. I'm, I, you know. <laughs> Alien-like. Anyway, and I get to this huge tree where these locals were hanging teens uh, with machetes. And, uh, you know, they're like, they start like tapping them on their knee and on their boot. And it's, it's, it's a little bit disconcerting, you know, because I don't have anything with me except for my hat, my llama, pronounced Yama hat, and some water and food. So... And these guys are trying to razz you. Yeah, they're razz- they're, they're f- like they're doing their best to freak me out at this stage. And then one comes up and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, don't, I can't run. You know, I have to keep walking. So I keep walking straight in a straight line like I'm supposed to be there. And they're hovering around me like dogs. And one guy has broken English and he's like, you know, I'll take you there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm trying to find the American's house. You know, and uh, so you know the Americans in that zone. In that zone, I'm like, you know, because he said, "Come to my house." I'm like, uh, way down there, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. come round. And I'm like, I really need the Americans' house right now. I don't know what the house looks like. I'm looking for the Americans' house. That's all the information I've got. So I say, I'm like looking for the Americans' house, looking for the Americans' house, and uh, he, and the guy said, "Yeah, I'll take you to the Americans' house." I'm like, don't want to go off the track. I, I literally don't want to go off this road, yeah, and. Yeah. Um, Sure enough, I, I hold my ground. I keep walking. The other ones fall away. He kind of shoes them away because I feel like he, he can get something from me or something. And uh, I'm in a situation here. Like, the, it, anyway, 
He takes me into the property. You could feel the energy was off. Yeah, it's so sketchy. And he started to take me off. And I'm like, I've got to figure out a plan. Like, um, and then he pulls me aside and I can see the American like way in the distance. And I'm like, lamb, lamb. Like, and he goes, he goes, hey man, come on in. And he comes up and he just shoes the other guy away. Like, and then closes the compound. It was like a compound. <laughs> Before I know it, I'm... So, so the guy had good intention? He was taking uh, you to Lem's? Yeah, or... I, I think he just, you know, f- f- anything could have happened. I didn't know. Really. He might have I think you. he wanted a few dollars for yeah, the guy, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah, which yeah. I did. Yep. I actually did because yep. I had a few loose ones in my pocket. And I definitely did that on purpose as well. So once I got in, uh, this character was larger than life. And he was actually an advisor during that war and discovered the beach where his house was on called Mahogway. Hold on. He was, what, so was he CIA? Was he? I don't ask any questions, Teague, in those situations because it's real. Like, but if he's down probably, there as an advisor, he's yeah, got to be oh, some level. Absolutely. And I'm not there to inquire yeah. hey buddy what's your, what's your fucking qualifications <laughs> so he, he certainly would have been at, at a really top intelligence level and um so he found this beach this particular beach called Mahogway. this is the one that you're looking for no but it was Fuck. a beautiful beach yes right? okay yeah. and so but he was a crucial part of the puzzle he was a crucial part of the puzzle because as we're sitting there having a cigar on his veranda looking over the beach stop it this is true he said he goes what are you doing out here man and i said well i've heard a whisper about this second point break you know he goes oh oh yeah does lem surf lem doesn't surf okay yeah right and he goes oh okay yeah i know where it is and i went oh and he goes and so he gave me further uh instructions and then i found it and it was a pebble. Um, is it known today? Don't say it's it. No, it's known today. Bugger. Yeah, it's known today. Um, but it was like a perfect pebble um, point, like yeah, uh, yeah. cobblestone. Yeah, like but large boulders, kind yeah, of. Yeah, like like what trestles is. Something like that. Trestles all those little yeah, boulders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Something yeah. like that. Um, but the wave was um, brown and round. And and perfect, and I had my right hand goggles on, so <laughs> that was amazing. That trip. So you surf this point alone? Yeah. And yeah. Did, did you just how long did you surf it uh, for? It was the conditions were. Um, I've been surfing a lot. And did Lem come and watch you? No, but he did help me because I needed to get out somehow, yeah. and he recognised the adventure. He said, "Look." So he took me under his wing and we went to the capital. Isn't this just the best part of travelling? Oh. Meeting the lambs of the world. Yes. You know? And and we're still in pen contact to this day. It's amazing. So the last little part of this story is I had to get out and he said, I'll take you under my wing. So I rode in the back of the pickup, of course, again, all the way back into... The capital, and I remember driving past um, what we call um, housing commission high-rises um, and seeing the dudes on the gate controlling who comes in and comes out and them looking at me, like, with ink up their neck. And, and I'm in the back, right? And it was it was a really intense um, place, and, and it certainly helped to have someone like that to, to guide you through. Did he, he seem like he knew everyone? He, 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 he was well integrated in that during the war and after. So 
it was quite uh, the experience and he was so stoked to have me there that he took me to his favorite um, Chinese restaurant <laughs> and <Yeah>. um, <laughs> the chef came out and met me and they, they did the whole thing like and he said, no, 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 it's your turn for, for karaoke. You're on. And um, I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, no, no. And I, so I get up on stage and I'm seeing no one in the restaurant, just a chef on the table with lamb. <laughs> he goes, you're a big hit with the Chinese community here, man. You're a big hit. <laughs> and there was no one in there. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about total different worlds you know we're talking about what you do to go and find a wave like yeah. oh it's amazing i love it darren and you know, i'm gonna just bust in with this is i, I remember being in the deep south of mexico and <laughs> <laughs> i've been pretty much run out of porto escondido wow. with sanger wow and we went down for the right hander and i'm thinking i'm in the middle of fucking nowhere and I walk into this, what looked like just a hut that's a bit dark. And I'm like, I'm looking for a bed to the, to the, the nice Mexican fella. And I just hear from the corner, it was like, like you, you're under a shade, like CIA style. I just hear this, get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and you were just sitting in the corner. Yeah. Resting up easy. Yeah. And I, you were the last person I expected to see in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And and now I want to go into this trip a bit because I think you had a banged up knee. Yes. Yes, I did. Now, if correct me if I'm wrong. That I just remember that was an injury I was thinking in my own mind that would have sent me home. Yes. So, 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 so let's go back to that. When so you left Torquay to go. So this was one of twelve trips to Mexico. Yeah. And at the time, I was um, training and surfing uh, the beach break at Puerto Escondido. And um, training being what swimming just, as well. Yeah, just just, just prepping myself for, for, for the it. waves because yeah. I've been there a while and I really want to be ready. And this one day. Uh, there was only four paddle and two toe, and it was these names are now synonymous. Like um, it was Rusty and Greg, the Long Brothers, uh, myself, and another surfer who the name escapes me. But anyway, cut a long story short. People listening, you're paddling. Yeah, I'm paddling, and the people that love surfing would know this. This is a split decision you make where things go wrong. Okay, so we're talking about you need to be this or that. You can't be in between this and that. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh, I was in between this and that. So, so I'm like, I'll, I'm on a, a waves come. Okay, so this, yeah. is, this is it. And I'm like, do I pull in? Do I straighten out? What am I even thinking? So, hold on, you've made the drop. Yeah, I'm at the bottom. So, I'm so at the that, But that, that's the big decision usually, should I just go or not? But you've gone. It's a justified closeout. It's a beach break of serious consequence. And I'm there, like, going, la-di-da, chewing a little straw thing, going, should I go straight or should I? What? You needed that decision to be made well earlier. And for some reason, I had the line to go into the tube. 
And I went, no, it's a closeout. I'll come out. But I had no speed. Oh. And I got driven. The lip drove me into my board and like a football player on a field with his stomp stuck in the turf, twisted, and boom, there's my knee. I actually thought I'd broken my leg. And I was in excruciating pain to the point where, and, and listeners would know, people who've charged out there understand these moments, these, these sickening moments where you are, um, you're in shock, but you're also going white from, from mm. the pain. And um, I thought I'd broken my leg and then I realised I hadn't. Um, and that was great until the Amazon started flowing back out and sucking up into another, I don't know, 10 to 12 foot shore break and I could not come in my board was in two pieces it was an anchor I had to strip my leg rope off because I was getting weighed down by my tail which was in half acting as an anchor strip that off so I could swim and then I, to swim against the current coming off the beach into another dumping wave was was so it it took 35 minutes well especially with your knee floating around it was like unbelievable that's... So 35 minutes, and I thought that guard would have seen, like the guards would have come, but yeah. they can't do anything. I'm like in, yeah, you're in, in the, washland yeah. and um, in a real critical zone. And Well, a lot of people have uh, gone the wrong way in that critical zone. It's, you know, yeah. and a so lot. I made it to the sand. I kissed the sand. I was very emotional on the sand. I love that sand. That was the nicest sand Warm sand, just being there, it was really felt special. Um, you know, one night I got chased down onto that sand by a gang of uh, young guys from that bro, town. That, that zone, Teague, was so mindlessly heavy. And I, I don't want to let, you know, I don't want to scare people from travelling, but I saw a bar fight that was out of the movies, like a Wild West saloon. I saw patrols fleecing people at ATMs. I saw all sorts of things, like sliding in and out of that, trying to get a wave. And um, anyway, got to the sand. Now, my adventure had just begun. Like, I, this was, my mission now was to get from the sand with a busted out knee to where I was staying, which was three levels of stairs. So can I just back this up a little bit? Now, did, <laughs> did you have a girlfriend? Yes. So I had a Mexican girlfriend for many years. But had you, you were dating her pre this wipeout? Yes. Yeah, okay, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I'm just trying to, because I knew you'd gone. Yeah, yeah. and she lived in a, a, a town, a landlocked, mountainous town called Oaxaca, Ciudad de Oaxaca, Oaxaca City. And basically, I was in trouble. So I had to get from the sand, first of all, to where I was staying, which was an, a total mission in itself, then up the stairs. I had. To, I just scraped, I was in so much pain, I just scraped all my stuff where I was staying into my bag, my coffin bag, just zipped it up, dragged, like, got onto the street, right? That was a mission. And I was like, help, like, help. I need a taxi. I'm trying to call a taxi. People are walking past thinking I'm strung out on coke. They're not even coming near me, you know? And anyone that's met me for the first time might be excused for thinking I'm on drugs, but I'm not. <laughs> anyway, so I'm on the street. And I'm, I'm white. I'm sweating. Like, I need, I need help. I need help. And um, I yell at this French couple, and I'm like, I need help, I need you to get the taxi, you know. And they finally got it, the taxi come, and he's like, whoa, I go, I need to get to the bus. And he goes, oh, 
this is all in Spanish, but he, he basically said, I'll get you to the bus, man. I'll get you to the bus. I'm like, we need to go now. Anyway, so he gets up on the main highway in his taxi. I'm in the back and he sees the bus in the distance. He speeds up, overtakes with oncoming tra tractors and trucks and corners the bus into a stop, like literally commandeers it off the road. And the bus driver's pissed, man. Like he's got his aviators on and his tweed and he's not happy. He's like nearly had an accident for this taxi. And then what's more, a gringo gets out who can hardly walk and lift his boards. Like this ordeal takes me like a full 10 minutes on the side of the road to get the boards out. And once I get up into the bus, people are ready to yell like that. <laughs> but they take one look at my face and they say nothing. <laughs> and I walk all the way to the back seat and... Uh, I actually pass out for a bit during that trip yeah. uh, on, on the bus on the way up. And um, it's two hours up the coast to a friend's house. And um, I bus grinds to a stop and I wake up. I come out of a consciousness, really, a little bit. And there's been an accident, full-blown accident. And I'm one of the only males on the bus. And next minute I find myself out on the highway trying to direct traffic around this accident scene while there's like hawks circling and I go through this fear and loathing in Las Vegas moment where the sun's like beating down. What are those things? They're, oh, they're things from the cartoons. Condors or something. No, no, what is it, man? They're the... Um, got the red bit. Vulture. Vultures. The they're fucking vultures. vultures. They're vultures. And they're swirling. But this is not a cartoon. <laughs> it seems like a cartoon. <laughs> and... That is part of the episode. Eventually, I get to my friend's house, and they don't expect me. And you're and not at your girlfriend's house. No, this is another friend, friend yeah. and the daughter runs out. Her name's Lorena, and she comes out. She goes, "Dario, Dario, what's happening?" And I'm like, "I'm in trouble. I need help." She goes, "Oh, you know, this is our annual family party. This is our big fiesta." And I'm like, "What?" And I and I'm like, "I just need a shower." And uh, I remember standing in the shower, under a cold shower, thinking, how am I going to get through this? Well, Lorenda hands me the first little shot of tequila, the second shot, and, you know, I'm the life of the party uh, until the next morning where I wake up and I've done significant damage to my knee and, and at that point I had to make a decision. Do I stay in Mexico or do I rehabilitate and come back down the coast? And so you stayed? Stayed. And Which is not a light decision to make. <laughs> when you're in pain in a foreign country alone, it, it's easier to pull it. I've done it. I've pulled the ripcord and just gone, I'm, I'm home. I, yeah. need the, I need the comforts. But Well, you, it, it, was, it, was, it was a challenge. And certainly I went into landlocked mountainous terrain, found the only swimming pool I could find, one in a whole city, one swimming pool that wasn't part of a fancy hotel. Mm-hmm. And paid a membership and, and trained and got back down the coast. So were you inland for three months. Yeah, a fair time to get better. And I was speaking to my physio over the phone, like what to do and all that, having phone consultations. And so was it at the end of that three months when I bumped into you? I reckon. I reckon. Yeah, because you're still ginger. Again. Yeah, yeah. You were ginger though. It was, it was good. And uh, I remember, man, I've never seen you. I remember you were drinking Coke and smoking darts. Don't tell just, anyone that. Yeah, Don't tell it, anyone it was that. the best. I was just like, who is this Darren? Who is this Darren? I Don't love it. Uh, it was a small face. Uh, uh, yeah, it was interesting times. Fucking yeah. great, man. Yes. You Hold on. <laughs> yeah. And I know we've had a real story time together today. 
Yeah. But I'd love to add to that story. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I came back down. I worked really, really hard to get right to come back down on the coast because another mate had found a wave, an amazing wave. And it's a wave that had only been in existence since about 91 or 92. A couple of Americans were flying in there, um, the Fletcher brothers and a few others. Um, and it was off an island north of Porto. Porto. And at that stage, it hadn't blown up. And I worked really hard to get that and missed out that year, but came back the next year and camped on the beach and surfed this particular wave, which was mind-blowing. Out on an island. Yeah. And apparently the wave's not there anymore. This, this, yeah, the sand had built up for, 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 for that time and had stayed there for 15 or 20 years and then it's not a wave anymore or it's not at that same quality. Isn't that amazing? Oh. Yeah, so... And you got it? Yeah. <clears throat> yep. And during that particular um, trip, uh, I speared the nose of my surfboard into my arm and... It was very early in the morning. Like we were getting, uh, I was the only one out, and there were waves that were, there were, da- there were moments where you'd get like eight or twelve second pits. Like you'd be like coming in and out of the wave continually. And that morning was pumping, and I remember just driving and driving, and somehow slipping off, and the board. I looked on the inside of my hand. I could see the white, and I could see the tissue, and I knew I was in trouble. And I came in, and the fisherman looked at me and goes, "Oh." And he, I had bare feet. I just dropped my board. I don't know what happened. And he ran me through the village. This is really intense. And there's, he ran me through the back way. So some of the back sort of blocks in the village are just rubbish dumps. Is this on the island? Yeah, this is yeah. on the island. And um, he took me through and I was like going over glass and I was like, oh, I was going to get a worse injury walking with bare feet through this zone. So when he gets to this little house, he's tapping on the window, tapping on the window. And no one's answering and there's a lady who's like bloodied sitting on the front porch and she's tapping on the window, tapping on the window. He's tapping on the window. And then eventually a young girl opens, grumpy, says something and slams the door. Well, she was the nurse. This was like a little red cross. She'd just woken her up at 5.30 in the morning. And when she opened the main door, I said to the lady sitting, you you go first, you know, Uh, and like, I'm okay. And she goes, no, 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 you go. And um, the the nurse was quite nervous. I sat, I remember sitting on a stainless steel bench trying to grip my nails through it because she was stitching me up with a hook and what was a bit of fishing line. So it was a last-minute stitch job on a pretty big gash. What did she, it was all sterile? No, I got her to put the anaesthetic in, yeah. but she didn't do enough. So I was actually feeling mm. the last few that mm. came through and that all, t- and I just got them to tape it and tape it and I knew I had to bail once again. And so there goes, so you got to get a full drive, then I've got to get a boat, then I've got to wait at a market and I've got to get a bus. And by the time I get to Porto, like I'm... 12 hours into the journey and very tired. Like I've got all my stuff and I'm once again trying to get back to a sort of safe zone and um, wait for the bus and jump on the bus and 
Those hills in coming into the top of Mexico are really windy and there's no forgiveness on either side. It's an extreme drop into tropical abyss. And petroleum trucks, doubles, they own the road. Just because they're the size they are, they think that they can take, and they do take, the majority of the road. And I'm falling in and out of sleep as these like high beams now are coming around corners and, and they're... Um, their trucks and our drivers having to pull over into the dirt and then come back onto the road and we're winding our way up into the, the hills and I had a moment where I thought I had a very strange moment I was sitting behind the driver was to the left and I was on the right and I was one of the front guys at the front so I could see out the front wind, windscreen and I had a moment where I could see this light coming around the corner and the truck coming around the corner and I knew it was going to collide with us. And in a split second, I put my head down to brace, but I came out of my body, I went over to the driver, I turned the wheel so he could miss the truck and then I came back into my body in a split second and then bang! Glass everywhere, popped all through my hair, all through my mouth, people screaming, We've been hit and peeled like a sardine can in a major road accident. The thing comes to a screeching halt. And you've got fresh stitches in your arm. That's the least of my issues at this point. <laughs> Smell of burning rubber, people yelling. And then the first thing I do is think, first thing I do is, everyone okay? Um, Todo bien. And then I've, I've got to get my boards out Did of the Did anyone walk. say no? No one spoke. And I'm like, this is bad. And I thought, I've got to get my boards out of the walkway. <laughs> my first thing was to, are the boards okay? Are you kidding me? So I got my boards out so people could walk out. And, oh, it was gnarly. I mean, you, you, you have three levels of police. You have the local, um, the state and the federal. And by the time most people got carted away in an ambulance, I was left on the side of the road with one other man. And they said to us, you've got to go back. We said, no, we're going this way. Like, aren't you going to bring another bus? And they're like, we're not bringing anything. We're gone. And at that stage, the federal police were there. They have muzzled German shepherds. They have uh, full automatic weapons. And um, everything cleared out. And what had happened, it was a camioneta, which is a, which is a farm truck. And I had a morbid curiosity. I wanted to go down. I was angry. I just wanted to go down and see what was happening. And I followed the strewn trail of debris, dead chickens, dead dogs. So the truck had gone over the edge. Truck had hit us and peeled us like a sardine can and rolled, like flipped, rolled and rolled and rolled. And I, for some reason, wanted to go down and see. I can't tell you why. And I went down and the feds, they're all in their masks with their guns, had these three kids pinned up against the truck, the ruined truck, blind drunk. They were absolutely blind drunk. They couldn't even stand up. And at that moment, I, I wanted to say something, but I couldn't. What can you say? Like, I just, I just, it was just so surreal. And so I walked back and I was left on the side of the road with one other man and we hitched. So hold on, were the feds going to kill these kids? I don't know. That, they're, they're fu the sad part about that future is that I don't know how you come out of that. I don't know what's going to be the turning point for them. You mm. know, like that was a pretty intense reality right there. They were in cuffs. And, you know, Mexico works in funny ways. So, so you know, like yourself, I spend a lot of time in Mexico. I know why I love it. 
Can you tell me what, apart from the waves, is it about the... the It's a fantastic country. It's a beautiful country. Um, It's a large country. It's rich in culture. It's rich in colour. And... It, everyone, Anything about the smells, Darren? <laughs> everyone has a heart. It's like yeah, there's yeah. a real pulse and yeah. there's a real warmth. Yeah. And there's all these other sort of things happening on the surface. But if you dig deep, everyone is friendly. Everyone is warm. Uh, it's like a family. Mm. And the food is incredible, as you know. But mainly it's it, it, the quality of waves is what drive you there. But the, 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 the way that people treat each other, I mean, obviously there, there is a huge problem with drugs and cartels and money, mm. um, but if you step aside of that to local folk who mm. aren't tied up in that, 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 um, that, that they just want to give you everything yeah. and, and include you, be part of this, be part of our Absolutely. experience. They're very generous and they're very inclusive and uh, they're very proud. Mm. So... Like every country, there's... It's harsh, though. Do you find everything breaks? Everything I've taken to Mexico breaks. <laughs> Probably like coming to Australia in the early days. Like, it's a harsh environment. That's right. And it's a large environment. It's a very big country. Yeah. Um, those complications are, are what you see, in, you know, in any place. Like if we looked underneath the surface here, we'd find some grit. Um, no, I think it's a beautiful place. Those stories, though, are just part of the travel experience and... Uh, that's why you do it. I mean, you, you, you're living, really. Now, um, have you been travelling much recently? <laughs> On my skatey to your house? Yeah, to no. This, to this so interview? I don't mean 2020. <laughs> um, hold on. I'll just touch that down a little bit. Uh, no, like the last few years, have you been, like, you, you travelled flat out. You went to Taiwan. You went to a bunch of different yeah, places. You've been to yeah. South Africa. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That was the, I think that was the last international trip. Uh, and that wasn't that long ago. That was pre-COVID. Uh, Which Jeff- one was? Jeffrey's Bay. Jeffrey's Bay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the third time I'd been to, to J-Bay, uh, one of the best right-hand points in the world, without a question. Yeah. So those, I think, I think it's nice for us to, I mean, even share a few stories today. I think the whole travel reflection is important to think about it. Everyone's different. They, they put priorities in different ways. But there's a risk and a reward. There's no doubt. Um, but there has to be passion. That's, you know, if you're not, if you're not up for it, then not, you're not going, are you? No, no. And, and I feel like, um, for myself as well, I, I really relate when you said like a lot of people have put, um, you know, like, um, commerce and setting up camp here, you know, a lot of people built families. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got a girlfriend, right? Yeah. And um, I just want to ask: Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you guys you, uh, you, have you thought about kids at all, or no, or yes, or sh- I don't know? Like, yeah, well, you know, whatever whatever happens will happen. But typically, on the ti- timeline, on the collective social but no, hold timeline, on. I haven't say, got a family. You, yes, that's right. But you can say, um, yeah, things just happen. But like, if you, th- I think, if you think, and you think traveling is very important to you, and unless like you've got a, you know, you, a lot of people lose that aspect of their life because they go down the, the, the road of, of having kids and there's no wrong or right. Well, um, mate, I think, you know, you know, certainly every, like life comes along and things change, you know. So that's why I probably was excited to share some of my early stories. Who knows what the future lies? Oh, come on. Let's look in the ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I know. Who, who knows? But it's, it is, it's fascinating. And so now you're living on the East Coast at the moment. 
Yeah. Now, tell me what, like, I never thought, I don't know, you know, what... Well, it's a fantastic thing because it, it going to a brand new environment gives you that freshness, that newness. Yeah. It's taken me about oh, a good three years to really nut out that coastline and it's... It's, it's time. You need to put the time in. You need to go. No one's going to hand it to you on a platter. I don't want anyone to hand it to me on a platter. I'd, I'd prefer to trape over, over sand dunes and go into places and get skunked and get skunked and then realise, okay, that's the, that's the formula, you know, and that's sort of... Um, you learn through your mistakes. It takes a long time to find out where to go and when. And it's, it's just... This comes back to the important thing with surfing. Um, for me, it's a great point you touch on. So the element of surprise and we're looking at um, taking away comparison. These are two very important points. So the element of surprise. Once upon a time, I would uh, tap on Sean Brooks's window. He was the only one that had a car. I think I was about 17. And say, Brooko, Brooko, are you going down the coast? And he would go down the coast. He, he used to surf down the coast a lot. For anyone listening down the southwest Victorian coast. And um, I didn't have a license, so I was looking for a lift. And in those early years, he had a van and he drove crazy. And we, like, I was just in with him, you know. He, he would see a six-foot closeout and go, we're out there. And um, he paddled myself and Timmy Hawken out uh, to a wave. And it was just the most incredible experience uh, I think he was riding a 6.3 and it was 6 to 8 feet like it was what we would call proper 8 feet and uh, I was on a 6.6 six, I felt okay but it was a, an amazing experience to see that individual and how he charged and how he surfed he was like a bat with burning wings <laughs> that's Sean Brooks is this, is this your favourite Sean like memory? This is, he was the most impressionable, impressionable surfer I think I've seen in real life it's, it's amazing how many people he has influenced, touched, or um, just has left a burning imprint, you know, from yeah. when I was at school. Yeah. I always looked up to Sean. Yeah. And every, anytime I just got to see him in the car park, I was like, oh, my God. That's but Sean. the water, like, that was where he shone. Like, he was a guy that would come down the line at Winky Pop and he would draw the biggest arc, like, so far out, and he would come screaming back like a bat out of hell with burning wings and do a backhand snap into the bottom turn. Like it was, it was phenomenal rail surfing that you rarely see um, in this day and age. It was actual rail surfing. Do you think he's the biggest influence on your surfing today? No, I think there's lots of people. And mm. this is like, it's handing down the dance. It's tribal. So you unconsciously have an impression they impress on you in visual sense mm -hmm. and you emulate and then it becomes an incorporation of your style. So it's fascinating what you just said there. I want to back this up because anything creative, right? You know, if someone says like acting, oh yeah, just say those words. But the truth is if I say to you, how did you get here today? And you go and you, you see it in pictures, you go, oh, I skated and um, I skated down this street and then and you see it, you see it in your mind's yes. eye. And then, um, we're, and with acting, I'm just going to chuck on a side, <laughs> yeah, a side go thing here. It, like, it's not the words 
on the fucking page. It's can you put a picture behind those words that then in turn have a an emotional meaning to sure. you? Good, happy man, I say whatever the fuck. But as long as you can see it as a picture, not a word, you're halfway home. And then the trick is to talk to you, um, and that's a handing down as well. Absolutely. So, so then I love the visual thing that you said then because like I, I've never thought about surfing in the same way. Great. But then you see someone that you love and you love their style and you think, oh, fuck, and that sits in your mind. You think about it a lot. So what we're talking about, this is fantastic for everyone. Surfing is art. Surfing is not a sport. I want to reiterate that. Surfing is art. Stamped. (laughs) (laughs) So coming back to influences, coming back to handing down the dance, that visual impression, there were people that I took a little bit of. Um, Glenn Casey, bottom turn. Sean Brooks swoop. Um, Is that an off the top swoop? Yeah, yeah. with the arms. I reckon yeah. I've got. A, I don't know how I've got his wing thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like dance. Um, we had this. There was this little group of of crew that used to uh, surf the rock. Um, Jeff Sweeney, Tommy Gunn, uh, Andrew Flinton, Glenn Wiley. These guys were ripping, man. Like. And to be so impressionable and to see these guys and what they did, you just wanted to emulate it. Tommy Gunn, I'm not even sure what his surname is. Did he have long hair? I can't remember. All I re- This is the point. All I remember is his calf. He would come, he'd finish his work at um, Ford Plant in Geelong or something, come out there and unleash every bit of that production line on the most seamless forehand calf. And you'd just be paddling out going, that was unbelievable. I want to do one of those. He put every ounce of effort on rail and, you know, everyone's got a different style and they love different things. But for me, that was like super, super impressionable. Um, Now, you've got your own bird rock um, story of I think you were airlifted off a beach one day. <laughs> let's, let's not go into any of those no, stories. Come dude. on, I love it. God, I mean, let's I, talk about surfing, man. But we are okay. <laughs> you can't, you can't just show the light for the dark. I mean, man, it all comes at a cost, and you've paid heavy costs the thing that you love the most I think everyone everyone does but we're talking to you today I know I know I I feel like this could be a but what what, what happened then you pulled into a barrel and you bounced my ribs went through my lung and it's called a pneumothorax so you get a hole in your lung that's what happens when you get shot as well Um, tension pneumothorax (laughs) when you breathe into your lung and it fills your fucking chest cavity and and your chest cavity crushes your internal organs that's what you die like from that I know yeah so keep going (laughs) Um, so I really want to talk about the impression I know but just give me this I'll give you this little quick story it was a surreal moment I came in I couldn't breathe I thought I was winded then I realised it was worse all I wanted was a paramedics to put me on the little stretch and the take me up the rock stairs. Now, the, 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 the original rock stairs were quite steep. Mm. Uh, they were well made, but they were quite steep. And uh, I just felt like I was on the beach and I stripped my wetsuit down and it was the first time I'd ever had to concentrate on breathing, ever, like properly concentrate on it. And everything went a bit blurry once again, <laughs> as you know, as <laughs> listeners know when you have an injury. Um and the paramedics came and I thought, this is fantastic. And a fellow by the name of Andrew Jens, 
he Gen Z. Yeah, Gen Z. He came with a towel and I ripped it off. Like I felt like I was boiling hot. But he told me later, he, he said he'd never seen someone so blue. He he thought I was really white and blue, which perhaps I was. And the paramedics come, I thought, thank goodness for this. And they said, no, no, the stairs are too dangerous. We're going to walk you along the beach and uh, suck on this. And they cracked the green puffer and I went into space. And it took about... What happens when you have that puffer? It's it's a surreal chemical experience. But the thing is, I had one paramedic on one arm, one on the other, and they decided to walk me from the bottom of the rock, old rock stairs up all the way, not to the main Janjuk stairs, but to the stairs that come where the river mouth are because it was flatter. And then they wanted to cut my wetsuit off. I was like, you're not cutting this. I was high as a kite. (laughs) They wrapped me in tinfoil. And there I am in the back of the Ambo talking about the footy final. Like... (laughs) That was intense. So you didn't get uh, you didn't get airlifted. No, they walked oh. me the length of the beach, and that was uh, so painful with a rib in your lung. Oh, dude, I can only imagine. But what made me feel better, and this is the last of these crazy stories. What it's true stories, but when I went into the room, I, I, I the Olympics were on, and I had my own clicker, and I was fine. Then one night, a guy got wheeled next to me, and he didn't say much. You know, and this I, is in hospital. This is in hospital, mm. and I asked the nurse. I said, um, "What's you know, what's wrong with him?" And she said, "Oh, he had a fridge dropped on him in Bowen Prison." And at that moment, I thought, "I'm pretty lucky." <laughs> True story. <laughs> He's a prison guard. <laughs> you fucking oh, no, kidding anyway, me? He wasn't. He wasn't well. Oh my god! I know. The prisoners got one back on a screw. I was—I don't know. It was just a very—it was a surreal moment where I went, "I'm not doing too bad." Oh fuck <laughs> me, drunk. Um, okay, Daz. Now you really—you really didn't want to talk about that, but you really wanted to talk about the 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 dance that was passed. Yeah. Out. So coming back to what we we're talking about, um, the first one was the element of surprise. So we had isobars and the paper. And the, oh, I see. And it's the, an optical chart. Yeah, yeah, and the barometer. That was it. We could see the clouds the night before and go, I think it's going to be north tomorrow. Let's go down the coast, right? And you weren't, you didn't know for sure. Mm. Um, you, you could see what the tides were, but you just weren't sure how long the north would last, how strong it would be, or everything you get now on a platter mm-hmm. was not there. Mm-hmm. And so you had to go. And the best memories, the most poignant memories are when you go. And you get there. You make a decision. You're with the people you're with. There's no mobile phones. You're actually there having a, an adventure that you're disconnected from the rest of the world in your own bubble. Exactamente. And it is absolutely sensational. It is absolutely rewarding. It's how it's supposed to be. You get there and it's onshore. Doesn't matter. Had the best surf ever. You know? Because you're not comparing. Yeah, yeah. You're not looking at a device going, I should have been here, I should have been there. Mm. You are living your present, but there's a difference. I want to let everybody know there's a difference between being present in the moment and living in the moment, both of those things. So you're living in the moment. And that, for me, was a pure free expression. That's why you free ride. That's like the idea. It's, it's not just what you're doing on the wave as a canvas. It's... It's the whole journey. Like, it's the whole everything. I mean, that sounds so modern-day hippie, 
that I almost feel sick. But no, no, it's fantastic because someone said to me, what do you spend most of your surfing life doing? And I sort of thought about it for a while and it's, he said, staring at the ocean. And, and staring at the ocean and usually either by yourself or talking to someone. Yeah. And that's most of it. And you're reading the ocean. Every time you're looking at it, you're understanding it. Like I could tell you right now, we're seeing this little bit of blue from your place, exactly what the wind is, exactly what the swell's like, just by seeing that little patch of horizon. Over the years, that's you get like that. So the, the element of surprise is really, really good. And it's, it's, it's unexplainable. But the comparison is another point. You can only ever compare yourself to yourself. It's, it's fruitile trying to compare to other people. And we do it superficially all the way through. But really, you've got to think, where was I? Where am I? Where am I going to be independently? And um, so if you've got those two things, if you've got the element of surprise and you're living in the moment, having been present in the moment, and you're not comparing, then that's, the, that's freedom. But don't you think that, like, I, I think for myself that this is uh, like the way we are supposed to be living. You know, we're going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're yes. all going to die. Yes. Now, it's not going to matter how many fucking cars you've got in the garage or how many followers you've got on Instagram. It's like you're going to die with your heart singing and happy or worried about, you know. Like, well, I think I, that the mortality what, is exactly why we do what we do. I think this is why we like Mexican culture. Is because they really live for the day. Yeah. And I think sometimes here... Oh, that's a good point. You yeah. Know, I think sometimes here we can get lost with um, living for the future and... and, and True. Keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. You know? I think that's interesting because that's a collective social consciousness that gets impressed or it gets pushed upon, right? But what you're talking about is um, the beauty in, in chaos. You're talking about living in the moment... Uh, well, as my friend, like you know, a chaotic you know, symmetry. He said to me, and you know, it's a word that I didn't really know, but it's entropy. Yes. Entropy is the, um, the everything is always in... Um, Emotion? Decay. Oh, okay. Yep. So basically, you know, our bodies are slowly but daily dying. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't clean the room, we'll, with, if you don't, even if you don't move anything, it'll just end up decaying and falling in on itself. Yep. Everything on earth is always And then new in. life comes, though. That's, That's right. That, that, this is true. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I going with entropy? But it's... Um, sorry. Yeah, we're all good. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I just think the more that, you know, I think about these things a lot that we can embrace. It, it gives richness to this moment where we're supposed to be standing. Yeah. And sitting opposite each it, other. It's like, like, right. a, it's like a sense of tradition, you know, like I, I, everyone's got their own ethos and their own mindset, but you know, I enjoy having dinner together. So if you came to my place uh, and I cooked dinner with some wine, we would sit down together and we would communicate and have dinner. Phones would be off. Like, everyone's got their little um, thing. So there's, like, a sense of tradition, a sense of ceremony in things. I think that's important, like letter writing. Um, But coming back to surfing. No, I want to go back to your mobile phone. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anyone that, T. No, I think it's absolutely beautiful. Do you know, the other day I tried to buy a Motorola Flip (laughs) because I was like, fuck this technology. I watched that, you know, the thing on the social. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I'm going back to what Darren's doing. And... Um, 
the guy ripped me off on Gumtree. Didn't send me. Took my no money. No way. Yeah, but anyway. Um, so have you ever had a smartphone? No. You, uh, I just love this. So you talk and text. Conscious choice not to have. Of course. And um, emails, do you have... No. You don't do emails? I've got emails, but not on that. No, 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 no. Oh, I know that. But <laughs> yeah, do yeah, you... email. I, I had the first... I had one person that I could email in 1996. No one had email. Now everyone's had four or five emails. I've still got that same email. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a Hotmail? Yeah, uh, don't oh. tell anyone. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, I think the last thing I'd love to share with you, yeah. like it's been a very, very interesting afternoon and I've yeah. loved seeing you yeah. because I haven't seen you for such a long time mm-hmm. and there's lots of memories. I just want to tell the listeners a little bit about something about John Teague. Oh, God. And this is flipping the tables right here, right now. We're going to tell a story about Teague. So <laughs> we've had a bit of a Latina theme. We've had a little bit of a Central American theme. Let's cast our minds back to the hot evenings of southern Mexico, to a fiesta, which is a party, uh, for a little town. And the little town has a world-class point, but no one would know in the little town because no one surfs. It's a rural village, and we've been invited by the mayor to sit on the mayor's table (laughs) at the fiesta. And you can imagine the importance of that and the respect required. So we are guests. We've got our best shirts on. John's got his best shirt on. I've got my best shirt on. I've got my best behaviour on. Not sure about Teagy. So we arrive and there's a brass band and there's lots of food and there's a marquee and little Corona's going around, but there's someone with the initials JT who has bought a bottle <laughs> of mezcal. Now, for those of you who don't know, mezcal is a clear liquid, an alcoholic liquid made from the agave cactus. It's stronger than tequila and some say a mild hallucinogenic. <laughs> so in our Western culture, what we do is with these strong liquids from any, any country, we tend to shop them. We tend to put them in a small glass and throw them back in between drinks. Um, which is precisely what John did. And, but this stuff is strong. We are talking surf for 10 hours all day. Can I just cut you off for one second? <laughs> do, you remember, I remember, do you remember we were eating the lizards? I do remember iguana, yes. Yeah. We've eaten iguana. <laughs> so, John, we've gone through the evening and I'm noticing that, that John's behaviour is getting a little bit more out of line, a little bit, should we say, disrespectful from some. And he is scaring little children towards the end. And I realise that dancing with the mother uh, of the chief of the village and scaring the little children was picking up the attention of some cowboys in the corner. Now, in Mexico, they love their riding. They love their bulls. They love their rodeo. These are proper cowboys. Cowboys with snakeskin boots. Cowboys with big buckles, big hats. Tough, tough individuals. And they are talking amongst themselves. And I'm looking around, reading the play, going, we need to go. And I'm like, I'm going to collect one of my dear friends, John Teague, and we're just going to quietly disappear. I think we've had a good night so far. We are standing out like the proverbials. We are 
two gringos at a very large Mexican party. And the mayor says, don't, no, no, I'll walk you home. I'll walk you home. And I'm like, no, no, we'll walk home. We're, we're on our way. And the mayor's like, no, 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 I'm walking you home. I'm walking you home. You know, like, I was oblivious worry. to all of this, you know. That. This is your story that you never heard about you. So the mayor's like, no, no, I can't let you walk. I'm like, we, we know where to go. You know, it's not that far. He's like, I'm walking you. I said, okay. So we go down a back street. And we're walking with the mayor and the mayor has John Teague held up on one shoulder and I've got him held up on the other. And John's not walking. We are. And we continue (laughs) to an intersection and the mayor, like the lights are flickering and it's dark and the dogs have run away and we've gone a long way down this track. We get to this intersection and I look to my right and they're the cowboys. Did you know this? No. The cowboys had come to dust us up. And that's why the mayor walked with us. They came for a punch on tea. Oh, God. So, so we met them at the intercept. They didn't realise the mayor was with us. We would have been gone, mate. Five cowboys came for us that night. And the mayor just looked over and they put their heads down. And we kept walking and they kept walking. That's a true story. And we put you to bed that night. <laughs> I'm not going to tell the listeners about how much of a struggle that was. <laughs> but um, do you know that my nickname? Do you remember? No, but I don't. Everyone, everyone was calling me John Baracho. Baracho, which means drunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> John. Everywhere I went after that, John Baracho. The village, yeah, because they knew you from the night. Yeah. They knew you from the night. Yeah. That's why. Oh, it geez. was really, really amazing. I mean, a bit embarrassed. That's okay. We turn the books. We make a change. Yeah, we make a change. <laughs> really, really amazing to be here. Oh, Darren, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, dude. Great to see you. <laughs> Give me that one. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let you play, baby. Yeah. You it on this one, man. Uh-huh. Well, there you have it. There was my conversation with none other than Darren Dazzler, the Razzle Dazzle uh, Wilcock. Thank you so much for listening, whoever you are, wherever you are. Daz, if you're out there listening, thank you so much for taking the time to come over and see me when you're in the neighborhood. It was awesome to see you. Uh, always always bring a nice light and, and give me some energy. Not that we're all stealing energy from each other, but it's 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 hard not to, to be lifted by someone like Darren when you're in his presence. Um Anyway, whoever you are out there in the world, I hope you're having a nice day, night, morning, I don't know, whatever it is, wherever you are. However, this is striking you in the ear hole. Be well. 